do. Uh, so let's, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Uh, Lord, I pray that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May you minister to every heart. You know what people are going through right now? Those who need to be encouraged, may you encourage them. Those who need to be exhorted, may they be exhorted. Those who need to be comforted, may you comfort them. Lord, be glorified tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. So by way of quick review, we know that 1 Chronicles was written to the captives who had been in Babylon for 70 years who are now returning to Jerusalem. And they're being given a history lesson by the chronicler. And he's, in 1 Chronicles, really focuses mostly on the life of David. And we've seen that so far, and we've seen the examples and the reminders of how God used David mightily. And as we come to tonight's text, grab your outline. I tell the message, what are you doing to impact eternity? What are you doing to impact eternity? What are you doing this week? What have you done this month? What are you doing this year? What are you doing in your life that will outlast this life, that will impact eternity? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And we're going to see some examples in tonight's text from David is not going to be allowed, as we already know, we've seen this previously, that God told him because he was a man of war, he could not build the temple. And it would be so easy for King David to do what some people do when they don't get to do what they want to do in ministry, or they don't get to serve the way they want to serve. They can pout, or they can leave, or they can quit, or they can let the enemy win. Amen? And instead, what does David do? We're going to see some examples of that. So, What are you doing to impact eternity? Uh, Give God your best. Do it for his glory. You know, whatever you're called to do, do it with excellence. You know, when I was uh, a younger man, my dad was a pastor, and uh, I'd love to be on the setup team. I'd come early, and we'd set up chairs, or sometimes I would, even at like age 15, 16, I'd go, if there was nobody there, I'd go serve in the nursery, and, and just whatever God wants us to do, whatever God's called us to do, let's give God our best, not the rest, Amen. Let's give God the best that we have, do it for his kingdom, and do it for his glory. We also want to be an example to the next generation. We'll see more of that in the next point. And we want to finish strong. We'll see all that in King David in the first five verses. Then secondly, we're either an enemy of God or a friend of God. We're either at war with God or at peace with God. We either include God and enjoy his blessings, or we exclude God and deal with the consequences. See, this is exactly what's happening in the world today, is We used to include God, at least in our nation, and God blessed us. And now we're largely excluding God, and we're dealing with the consequences. Amen? And the same is true in all of our lives. If we include God, it doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be trials, because there will be. But we can enjoy the blessings of God. But when we exclude God, and this is always the question that I get, you know, I've been a pastor 34 years, so I've been asked a lot, why is there evil in the world if God's a loving God? Because we've got people who have nothing to do with God, and they're living according to their sin nature that Jesus came to redeem us from. And because they have excluded God, people, you know, you heard me say before, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? Point number three. Stay faithful to God and his word. You know, it's not enough to read the Bible. We need to open it. We need to read it. But we also need to obey it. 
It says in 1 Samuel that to obey is better than sacrifice. See, we can make all the sacrifices. We can do all the religious things. We can, you know, we can even read our Bible. We can you know, be faithful. to come, But if we don't live it out, you've heard me say again, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Be obedient to the Lord. Be faithful to finish the work he has called you to do. And again, good works mean nothing if they don't, are not accompanied by obedient fellowship with God. Point number four. It cost our, our Savior everything, right? He went to the cross. He suffered and died. He endured humility. He came with that purpose in mind. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But it cost him everything in the worldly sense to save us. And it should cost us something to faithfully serve him. It will. And again, it's, it's nothing compared to what he gave for us. But too often people don't want to serve the Lord because it's inconvenient. I'm glad that the Lord was willing to be inconvenienced for us, amen? And we should be willing to be inconvenienced for him. Take time to invest in the kinds of things that will help you grow spiritually. Prayer of the word, fellowship, serving. Again, some plant, some water, some reap a harvest. We'll talk about that. And then finally, bring others with you. You know, there are people that are desperate. They don't know what the answers are. They're looking for answers. They're trying everything under the sun, and they're not finding any peace. And we have the answer, and the most selfish thing we can do is keep it to ourselves. I pray every day. This is my prayer every morning. You know, first thing I say is, yes, Lord. That's from Samuel. And then I just say, Lord, use me today for your kingdom and for your glory. Give me a divine appointment. Give me an opportunity to share with somebody who doesn't know you how they can know you and to encourage somebody who does know you uh, and, and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And just, Lord, I want to be available today. Use me for your kingdom and your glory. And do you know that virtually every day I get to do that? Because that's a prayer that God will answer. Amen? Lord, here I am. Send me. Give me an opportunity today to talk to somebody and encourage somebody. We want to bring others with us. We need to take time to pour into the lives of others. Who are you discipling? The Bible's called us to make disciples. Who are you discipling and who's discipling you? So let's begin there in 1 Chronicles 22. I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit to chapter 21 because there really should not be a... uh, a chapter break here. Let's pick up at verse 28. I want you to see what ha- takes place here. We looked at this last week. It says, at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time in the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword and the angel of the Lord. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. So if you remember what happened, this is actually, we're going to see God take and bring beauty from ashes, triumph from, from disobedience. Remember last chapter, what did David do? What got him in trouble with God? What did he do? Who remembers? It was a week ago. Now, don't anybody ever tell me to stop being repetitive because you've already forgotten. Remember, he wanted to count the army. You guys remember that? And he wanted, he wanted to make a census and count the army. And then he was warned, don't do that. God, you, we're not supposed to. So God brought punishment because of it. And he had to pick the punishment they would get. Would it be three months? You know, would it be a famine, right? Would it be three days in the hand of the Lord? And he gave them all these options. And at the end of it, he now goes before the Lord and he makes a sacrifice. 
And once he makes the sacrifice there, it says that God has spoken to him that this is the place where the Lord is to be worshipped. Now, they already had another place in Gibeon, and David would never make sacrifices there ever again. He knew that they were going to build the temple. He just didn't know where to build it. And God makes it clear to him that this is the place. Now, why is this so significant? It's on Mount Moriah. And a couple things take place at Mount Moriah that are extremely significant. Number one, it's the same mountain where Abraham took Isaac. And he was going to sacrifice him before the Lord. And here we have the son of the man called by God carrying the wood up the mountain. And he says, Dad, we have the wood. We have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And Isaac lays himself down. And we know this because Abraham was old and Isaac wasn't. And Isaac could have just walked away from his dad or knocked his dad down. But he was willing to submit to even being put to death. Who's that a picture of? The picture of Jesus. Well, guess what? Mount Moriah is not only the place where Isaac was taken to be sacrificed, it's also where Calvary is. It's also the place where Jesus would be crucified. So here we are, hundreds of years before crucifixion even exists. But when King David is on that mountain, God reveals to him, this is the place where we will make sacrifices. And that would be the place where Jesus would be crucified. Guys, the Bible rocks, amen? And he moved upon his heart. And so this is the house of the Lord. This is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David's offering is sacrificing upon this altar. Again, God receiving his offering. He consumes it with fire. Back in 1 Chronicles verse 26, chapter 21, verse 26, it says, And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. See, he cried out to God, God brought fire upon the altar and he said, this is the place where all sacrifices will be made from this day forward. So he knew they were to build a temple. He knew he was not going to be allowed to do it, but he did not know where it was going to be. And now he knows because God has spoke to him and God has moved upon his heart. Back in chapter 17, David expressed a desire to God to build a house for him, yet God said no. And it said, God said that uh, he would build a house for David himself. And he's not just speaking of his house, but his lineage. Because through the house of David would come the son of David. And who's that? Jesus. Who's that? If you don't know the answer, shout Jesus. It's almost always right, okay? Who's the son of David? Who, who's the son of David? Jesus. There you go. Wow, Lord help It's not even hot in here. You can't be napping. Come on, guys. But David wanted to build the house of God, and God even gave plans to David of how to build it. But again, that question remained where, and now God has answered that question. And so now this is going to be the site of Solomon's temple. God had told David, you're not going to be able to build it because you've been a man of war, and I want someone of peace to build it. And the reason for that is when we come to the Lord, he is the prince of peace, he redeems us, and we are no longer at war with God. Amen? We're no longer enemies of God. And so here we see this picture on Mount Moriah, again, which was famous for the sacrifice of Isaac, and now is going to be the place where Solomon builds 
the temple. When we get to 2 Chronicles 3, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So if you're wondering how I know, that because you read the Bible and then it tells you that that's where the temple would be. Amen? So he didn't want them bringing the sacrifices just to any old place. And God is turning tragedy here into triumph because see, David had disobeyed God. David had in two ways that we're going to see redemption in tonight's chapter. First of all, he counted the people and God brought judgment upon his people. And because of that judgment, he looked to make sacrifice and God brought him to the place again where the temple would be built. So God brought blessing out of disobedience because he is a faithful God. But here's the other thing that happened. Solomon, who's Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Bible Jeopardy. That was only like a $400 question right there. But Bathsheba, and how did David and Bathsheba get together? What happened? Who knows that answer? Come on, you got to be paying attention. He didn't go to war. He was napping he went out in the noonday sun or later in the afternoon. He saw her bathing. He knew she was married. He took her anyway. She got pregnant. That baby ended up dying. He brought her husband home, Uriah. And when he wouldn't go in and lie with his wife, he sent him back to the front line so he would die for sure. Then he took Bathsheba as his wife. And though their first child died, one of their other children was Solomon. And what's amazing is a, a son that was born, again, in some, some very you know, difficult, very contrary to God's will's uh, situation, and also the disobedience. And here we're going to take that son that was born out of murder and adultery and the census that he took that brought him to this place to bring about the temple and the place where God would be worshipped. See, God brings beauty from ashes. Amen? When we repent, God can use us. It doesn't matter. Here's what I hear all the time from people. I've heard it a couple times this week already. People so consumed with their past that they can't move forward. You know, the apostle Paul said, this one thing I do, I leave that which is behind to press onward to the upper call in Christ Jesus. Amen? And the enemy wants you looking backwards. He wants you. This is why I'm going to insult some people. I love you guys. I'm not a psycho babble guy. Here's why. Let's go examine your past. Let's go back and talk about your childhood. Let's go talk. And I'm not saying sometimes I guess that can be beneficial, but here's the reality. That's who I was, not who I am. And our God is greater than anything that's behind us. Amen? And we want to move forward. And we see it here in just the grace that he pours out upon them. From that day forward, David would only make sacrifices on Mount Moriah, knowing that it would one day be the place where the temple would be built. What a picture of God's grace. And I just love the grace of God. I'm blown away by the grace of God sometimes. How about you? We just sit and contemplate. How about your own life and my life? When you think about all the sin that I've committed in my lifetime, and he's forgiven me past, present, and future, he knows me best and he loves me most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever thought or done, and he loves me anyway. That's grace, amen? That's God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And he pours out his grace upon us in the place where David's sin of numbering the people and where his son Solomon, born to Bathsheba, and then we're going to see how God's going to use both of those things to bring about the place where D Jesus would one day 
be crucified and where the temple would be built. Jesus is the savior of sinners like you and me and the place where this temple will be built once again. While David could not build the temple because, again, he was a man of war, he knew that his son would. Verses 2 through 4 says, So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones and to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. So here's what David does. He's been told he cannot build the temple. So what does he do? He's going to go out and get everything ready so when he's gone, his son has everything he needs to build the temple. Now, I love this heart of David. There's a reason why, even though David was an adulterer and David was a murderer, he's referred to a man after God's own heart because he was a man who repented and he was a man who continued to have an, a heavenly focus even after he had made horrible choices. What does he do here? It would be so easy to say, well, I can't do the ministry I want. Well, I'm not serving at all. I'm going to go find another place. I'm going to talk bad about those people. They won't let me do what I want to do. You know what? David was not going to be allowed to do what he wanted to do, which was build the temple. So instead of pouting or taking his ball and going home or murmuring against God, what does he do? He says, I'm going to help. I'm going to help. I'm going to gather together all the materials that are needed. See, David is the one who God gave the plans for the temple. So he had the plans, what it was going to look like, how it was going to be laid out. He figured out what they needed. So he summons all these people. Now, remember that David had been a man of war and they'd won a lot of battles. And these, these aliens that they're talking about, these are people that have been enslaved. They lost battles to Israel. And now he's going to take them and use them to build the temple that God desired for his place of worship. So he's, built, he's willing, again, and we see the type of materials. We know there's some 70,000 slaves. And the cedar trees of Lebanon were, were legendary as the most excellent of timber. It also means that, again, he was willing to use Gentiles in the making of the temple. Because you know what? Our God, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Amen. And so we see this picture of what points to the cross of Calvary, and we see God using even Gentiles to help build it. He had iron in abundance. Uh, the king's provision of large amounts of iron reflects how the conditions had changed in his time. The knowledge, again, of, of creating iron came from the Philistines. So some of those he defeated in battle, he's now using to bring iron that would be used for the temple. David can't build the temple, but he's going to do everything he can in preparation for Solomon to build it. And David would do all he could to advance the kingdom of God, and he didn't care who got the credit. You know what? It's been said that it's a, it's, there's no telling what can be done. It is amazing how much can be accomplished if no one cares who gets the credit. And the problem is that too often, even in ministry, people want to get the credit. 
They feel like they're in competition with the church down the street. Pastors can even, you know, and this is what I hear at pastors' conferences. You know, they'll come up, where's your church? How many people do you have? Blah, blah, blah. And they'll judge you based on, on, on what, you know, and I, I, I've been a part of some really big churches, and I've been charged of church plants and everything in between. And here's the reality. God's doing a great work when two people gather together, study the word of God, and worship him. Amen. When people are getting saved, lives are being changed, God's being glorified, but there's this mentality that we want to judge uh, you know, success in ministry by worldly standards. I have, a, I have a dear friend, pray for him, his name's Mickey, he's planting a Calvary Chapel in Alaska in a town of about 300 people. And every time I call him, I'm just trying to encourage him, and I'm like, so you purposely chose a place where it's below zero, and a place with very few people. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, we got a couple families coming. And I'm just pouring into them. And I'm like, you know what? To me, that's as great as preaching to 5,000. Can I get an amen to that? It's just being faithful to feed those who God brings into your path. And David wasn't worried about getting the credit. It's not, it's not referred to as David's temple. What's it referred to in scripture? Solomon's temple. Though David's going to do most of the work. David's got the plans. He's going to lay it out for his son. By the way, when he's talking to his son, Solomon, he's about 12 years old. He's a kid. Hey, son, when I leave, you're going to need to build a temple. Here's the, here's the plans. Here's what it's going to look like. By the way, I'm stacking up all the stuff so everything's ready to go. And he's preparing his son for when he leaves to continue doing God's work. And that's an exhortation for every parent here. Amen. We want to give ministry away. We want to prepare that next generation. My prayer is that my kids and my grandkids would love Jesus more than I do. Amen? And we want to be an example. We want to pour into them, and that's exactly what David is going to do. What a great example for all of us to follow, to simply to be blessed, to be a part of what God is doing, not jealous of how God may be using somebody else. I've told that story about Pastor Chuck that when he went to seminary, he said everybody wanted to be Billy Graham. And so everybody would imitate Billy Graham. They started talking like Billy Graham. And, then, and Chuck said, Pastor Chuck said, you know, I was pastoring this church. And, and he said, I'm, I'm kind of mimicking Billy Graham because God was using him so mightily. And he said, and I did this thing that Billy Graham does where you pick your hand back and you throw it out there. And I threw my hand out and I had nothing to say. <laughs> you know, and he goes... We don't need two Billy Grahams. We need one Chuck Smith and one Billy Graham. Amen? We don't need two of anybody else. You don't need to be anybody else. Don't envy anybody else. God has uniquely called you and gifted you. And this church is a body. And everybody in there has a gift. And all of us need to be faithful to use our gifts if this church is to function the way God wants it to. Amen? You have gifts I don't have. I might have gifts you don't have. That's the body of Christ. That's how it works. Amen? We have prayer warriors who pray and nobody knows. We have people that are in the helps ministry or the setup ministry or the tech ministry or on the worship team or serving in the children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, young adults, you know, the overcomers. We can go down the list. And you know what? Praise God for those who are faithfully serving the Lord and aren't looking for any kind of credit. Don't get upset when you don't get credit. By the way, you know how you know you're a servant or not? But how you respond when someone treats you like one? Amen? What do you think I am, a servant? Yes. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the, the servant of all. Amen? 
Again, someone once said, it's amazing how much can be accomplished if no one cares who gets the credit. We are the body of Christ. We are all uniquely gifted. And any gifting we have is only by God's grace. We should never get puffed up about the gift we have. That's just so contrary to what the Word of God teaches us. Amen. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. Pray for me. I'm going to be at a pastor's conference in a couple of weeks and I've got Samson. They were going through judges and they gave me Samson. And here's this guy who's uniquely called and gifted and blows it big time. Amen? Here's a guy that was going to be used mildly by God and sadly he got distracted and before you knew it, he was disqualified. And the same thing can happen to all of us. You all have gifts. Have you been distracted and you're not using it? Have you allowed yourself to get so far from God you're disqualified from using it? As we faithfully serve together, it is for God's glory, for the furtherance of the gospel, not to make a name for ourselves. Amen? By the way, people always say, well, I go to your church. Well, this isn't my church. It's his church. Amen to that? It's the Lord's church. It's not, it's not mine. Verse 5, it says, there, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house, the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Now, I love this because David says, look, if we're going to do this for God, we're going to do it right. Amen? And we should not give God the rest. We should give God our best. We don't just, all oh, right, well, if I have time at the end of my long day of making money, and again, we should work hard and be the best workers in the building wherever we work, but that being said, we don't give God our leftover time. I want to encourage you, make your time with the Lord in the morning, so then you don't fall asleep with your face in your Bible, amen, at night. And by the way, I also love to pray in the morning because it prepares me for the day. And if I'm praying at night, all I'm doing is asking God for forgiveness for everything I did during the day. Can I get into that? And so I just want to encourage you, spend time, begin your day with the Lord, spend your day with the Lord, end your day with the Lord, spend time in his presence. And he's saying, look, what we do for God is going to be magnificent. Now, not to make a name for himself, but that God might be glorified. And again, it doesn't have to be gaudy. It doesn't have to be, you know, stuff that's, you know, opulent. It just needs to be honoring unto the Lord. Solomon had a, the same vision for the glory of the temple, and he would be the one to build it, and it was magnificent. Again, several clear applications we have from verse 5. Whatever you're called to do, do it with excellence. Again, if you're setting up the chairs, serving in the children's ministry, youth ministry, wherever you're serving, do it with your whole heart. If you're on the worship team, Show up when you're supposed to be and practice, right? If you're going to teach the five-year-olds, you'd be as prepared as if you're going to teach up here on a Sunday morning. Amen? Because they're just as important. And we want to make sure we're faithful to be doing what God has called us to do and do it in a way that brings glory and honor to the name of the Lord. Again, we give God our best, not our rest. He said there, my son is young and inexperienced. So what is he doing? He's pouring into his son. He's being an example to his son. He's letting his son know, if we're doing this for God, we give him the best that we have. No doubt Solomon had some knowledge of how he was born and what his dad had done in the past to somehow end up being married to his mom. 
And at the same time, he do, David doesn't use that to say, well, I'll never have an impact on my son. Because look, we may have blown it in the past, but let's be godly examples from this day forward. Amen? Let's honor the Lord and let's exhort and, and give our children an example to follow. Be examples to that next generation, his 12-year-old son here, 12 to 14 years old, depending on which historian you look out. Pour into them. Have them serve alongside you. Lead by example. It says there in that verse, David made abundant preparations. This is finishing strong. David is going to make preparations till the day he dies. He's never going to see the temple built. He's going to be in heaven before it happens. Well, in this case, Abraham's bosom, right? And here he is, but he still wants to finish strong. He still wants to take whatever time he has left to use it for God and for his glory. Look, I, I hate to always talk about my family, but my dad... I don't, the only person I think who I know who met my dad was Tim. Tim met my dad when we went up to a men's retreat. My dad, and again, I'm biased, was the most godly man I've ever met in my life. And my dad was just the best example of how you treat your wife and how you raise your kids and how you balance working a full-time job and pastoring a church. And as my dad got older, my dad uh, went blind and it would be really easy for him to just say, well, I guess I'm done in ministry. By the way, he, when I went to plant a church, he left the church where he was to come set up chairs and make coffee and hold up my hands. And my dad was the best Bible teacher I've ever heard in my life. And my dad was making, setting up chairs so I could teach. Talk about humbling, amen? But as he was blind... He was signed up for this thing. I think it's Jesus.com or something like that. And people would call in with questions about the Lord. And my dad would go sit in his office and the time slot he got was 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And he would go sit in there and have the phone there and he'd be able to answer it. And he would talk to people about Jesus and he, and he was blind. I remember toward the end of his life, we were sitting around the table and he quoted the entire book of Ephesians from memory. And he was exhorting us and encouraging us. I've got a video of it. One of these times I'll bring in two minutes of it and let you see my dad who's blind saying, what a blessing it is to serve the Lord. What a faithful God we serve. He wasn't complaining about being blind. He wasn't moaning about the fact that he had early stages of dementia. He was just praising God till the end. And my prayer is, Lord, I want to be just like that. Amen? I want to finish strong for the Lord. I don't want to murmur and complain about the fact, my dad could have murmured, Lord, why would you let me go blind? I can't read my Bible anymore. Well, you know what, you know what's a, what solves that? Spend enough time on the word that you know it in here, amen? That you know it in your heart. We were all sitting around the table and we were all in tears as my dad just quoting the word and he's talking and he starts praying, Lord, you're so good. And you know what, guys, may we never lose sight of that. Let's finish strong for Jesus, Amen. My dad and I, when we would talk on the phone, even before he was blind, we would talk almost every day between sales calls. And this is the way we ended every call. He'd say, you know, son, what are you teaching this week? Okay, what's God showing you so far? Oh, that's awesome. And he would be encouraging me. And then we would finish the phone call. He'd say, I love you, son. I'd say, I love you, dad. And then we'd say, finish strong. Guys, I pray that we would finish strong for Jesus. Amen. And David, we see that example here as he knew he would not be able to build the temple, but he was content to prepare the way for his son to build it successfully. David didn't pout. He didn't give up. He remained faithful in his service to the Lord. And the chronicler makes it clear to these people coming back from Babylon into Jerusalem, just how significant the temple is, how it came about, and why it's so important as they're heading back into Jerusalem, into that place. 
where God had been glorified. So point number one there, what are you doing to impact eternity? Give God your best. Do it for his glory. Whatever you're called to do, do it with excellence. Be an example to the next generation. Finish strong. Point number two, an enemy of God or a friend of God. Look at verse six. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So David wanted to build a temple, but God told him, and it wasn't that he shed blood outside of God's will. He was fighting the enemies. He was the king leading them into battle, and he was winning battles that God put him uh, you know, front and center. And so he was being obedient to God, but part of what he did for the Lord was he brought about war, and he made war against the enemies of God, and he shed blood. And God said, look, I don't want this to be built upon the foundation of a man who was at war and, again, you know, bringing death of people. I want it to be built upon a king who's known for peace. So he tells his son, though, as we earlier, he says he charged him to build the, 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 the temple for the God of Israel, to build a house. Notice it's not a suggestion. By the way, what happened to parents being parents? Amen? I've heard kids, you know, I remember being on the Little League field and an 11-year-old flipping off his dad. And I was like, do you want me to swat him? Because I'd, be I'd be happy to fill in right about now. And we have a lot of that where children just run amok and their parents don't bring discipline. Notice David says to his son, hey, son, you're going to be building a house for the Lord. It's not a suggestion. By the way, the Bible is not the 10 suggestions. It's the 10 commandments. Can I get an Amen. And so when God commands us to do something, it's not something we should, well, I wonder, if, should I do that or not? No, we obey God, amen? And we see David exhorting Solomon because he knew it was what God had for him. And we want to exhort those, our children and those generations that are behind us. I love that the, sin is gonna, the son is going to finish what the father could not. When my dad and I, the reason he came, one of the reasons he came to help me is that he had planted a church in Santa Cruz, then he had gone to San Jose to help Don McClure. And then that church in Santa Cruz moved and got really small. Some 15 years later, I went right back into the same place, literally met in the same building, and my, son came, my dad came to me one night with tears running down his face, and the church was blown, God was blessing it, and we're planting other churches out of it. And he said, you know, son, God brought the son back to finish what the father started. And I was just blown away. And you know what? That's exactly what, what Solomon's doing here. David is the one who's got the plans together. David is the one who has everything in place so the temple can be built. But Solomon's going to be the one to finish it. Look, I truly believe this. If the Lord tarries and I go to heaven, I think that this church will continue to grow. And I think the best days will be ahead of it even after I'm gone. Amen. Because guys, it's not about any man, it's about what the Lord wants to do. And God will be glorified, amen? So he's building the temple. 
For Solomon was not a choice to be considered, but a charge and a command to be obeyed. Solomon was a young man in need of direction. His father spoke into his life. Solomon knew his need. And then what did he ask God for? Remember when God came to him and said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Kids who don't read Proverbs is dumb. Amen? But he wanted wisdom, and he wrote most of the Proverbs, right? And he knew that what he had before him, having watched his dad, he's like, man, I'm a young man, and I'm, I'm not, I don't have the wisdom of my father. I'm not cut out. Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. And it says in the word that he was the wisest man who ever lived. Again, here we find one of the reasons why God did not want David to build the temple, because again, he was a man of war. And they weren't ungodly wars, but he wanted the temple to be known for peace. When we read Isaiah 9, 6, it calls Jesus the prince of peace. It says in Zechariah, by God's spirit, am I preaching of the gospel of peace? See, we're all at war with God until we surrender our lives to him. You're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. There's nothing in between. So if you, if you have not surrendered your life to the Lord, you're an enemy of God. Now, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he reaches out and offers salvation universally, but he will not force it upon you. And so if you don't know the Lord, you're an enemy of God, but you can change that tonight. Amen? When we surrender our life to him, we become a friend of God. As lost sinners, we were at war with God, enemies of God, and now as born-again believers, we are at peace with God because the Prince of Peace died in our place. Now notice what it says here, my house by my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth, behold, a son shall be born to you, he shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest for all his enemies around him, and his name shall be Solomon. So the Lord gave this command to David even before his son was born. And he knew that that was coming one day, and now he's instructing Solomon. And I love that Solomon's name, the root of it is Shalom. And Shalom means what? Peace. So here he is, he's saying, I want a king of peace. And he tells him to name him Solomon, Shalom, He's the king of peace because he's building a temple that points to the prince of peace. Amen? And the Bible rocks. Word is true. Amen? So such a clear picture of the sovereign hand of God. Not my will, but thy will be done. And he says there in verse 10, I give peace and quietness in Israel in those days. He's telling them, look, when he's building the temple, I'm going to bring peace all around him. You know how that peace is going to come? David's defeated all the enemies. And now God's going to bring it to in a time of peace. He's going to raise up Solomon, Shalom, the king of peace, who pictures up the prince of peace, and they're going to build the temple without any, again, enemies attacking them, as God says. Verse 10, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son. And I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, this has a twofold fulfillment. We know in Matthew, it says, Jesus, Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon, of, of his, the wife of Uriah. So we know that God had his hand on David, and know we know through the line of David that the 
Prince of Peace will come. And so the first fulfillment is in Solomon, but the ultimate picture of this is in Isaiah chapter 9, and it says, of the increase of his government and peace no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of God of hosts will perform this. Luke one thirty three, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Why? Because all of this... While it's the first fulfillment is in Solomon, the ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because we know that right now, the descendants, in a sense, of, of David are not ruling over Israel. I mean, they, they are. God's brought them back there. That's, again, another great picture of biblical fulfillment of prophecy. But you know what? Forever speaks of Jesus. Amen? He rule and reigns, he's going to rule and He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, amen? Whether you recognize him as that or not, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And you're either for him or you're against him. You're either a friend of God or an enemy of God. You've either ignored him and you're living a life apart from him, or you've surrendered your life to him. There is no kind of saved. It's like being kind of pregnant, amen? You either are or you're not. You're either born again or you're not, amen? Right, Carolyn? No kind of is over there, amen? Love it. Can't wait to, wait, wait, to, wait to meet that baby girl, amen? So point number three, what are you doing to impact eternity? Give God your best, do it for his glory. Are you an enemy of God or a friend of God? Stay faithful to God and his word. Look at verse 11. Now my son, may the Lord be with you and may you prosper and may you build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care and fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Boy, those are some great words from a dad to his son. Amen? Those are amazing words from a dad to his son. He's encouraging him as he knows he's about to go away. May the Lord be with you. May you prosper. May you build the house of the Lord your God. He's emphasizing, again, David's legacy, if you will, through his son Solomon. That this great accomplishment would come through his son. Be faithful to finish the work. Do what the Lord has called you to do. That you may keep the law of God. The law of God, that's the word of God. Amen? He's saying, look, may God use you. May you build the house that he's called you to build. May you faithfully serve the Lord. How do we do that? You spend time in the word of God. Amen? That's where our direction comes from. That's where our peace and our hope come from. It comes from knowing the word of God. Be obedient to the Lord. Obey his word. Walk in fellowship with God and you will prosper. Now, this prosper we're talking about, we know that Solomon is going to end up being the richest man on the planet. But the, the greater prosperity comes in knowing the Lord, amen? Having the promise of eternal life. The fact that you will close your eyes on earth and you will open them up in glory one day, amen? And I long for that day. And you know what? Notice what it says at the end of that there. He tells them, do not fear nor be dismayed. See, if you know the Lord, you have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? Amen? 
We have nothing to be afraid of. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. See, he says, don't be dismayed. God is for you. Who can be against you? Uh, you be faithful to God. You obey God. God wants to use you mightily. He wants you to prosper, and you have nothing to be afraid of. Guys, as believers, one of the things that should be evident about us is we do not walk in fear. What's the You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? What's the worst thing the world could do to me? It's the best thing that could happen to me. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't need 57 masks on in a, in a shade while driving in our car by ourselves. Amen? We don't have to be afraid of the things of this world. Our God is greater. You plus God is a majority. King David, when David fought Goliath, it's because the Holy Spirit entered the camp when he showed up. Wherever you go, the Lord is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. You have to be afraid of nothing. Amen? Our God is greater than anything we will face. You will prosper. Walk in fellowship with God. And good works mean nothing apart from obedient fellowship with the Lord. You know, your relationship with the Lord, Lord, what does it look like? Does somebody spend a couple hours with the week? Is it, is it something that you do uh, on Sundays and Thursdays? Or do you walk in intimate fellowship with him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you spend time in his presence every day? I, you know, I feel like when I get up in the morning, I pray, and I just leave God on speakerphone the rest of the day. I just keep talking to him, amen? My wife thinks I'm crazy sometimes. I'll be walking through the house, Lord, help! <laughs> it's a good prayer, Amen? I know I'm about to, I'm going to interact with somebody. It's going to, Lord help. I, you got to show up. Amen. Just talking to the Lord. You know, and, and now you can get away with that because people think you got an earbud in, you're on the phone. So you can just talk to the Lord all day long. And you know what? Stay in intimate contact with the creator of the universe. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Solomon could take courage and reject fear because God had promised David that as long as his sons walked in obedience, they would keep the throne of Israel. This is an amazing promise. No matter what the Assyrians or the Egyptians or the Babylonians did, as long as Solomon obeyed the Lord, he would remain on the throne. We need to encourage the next generation to not be afraid or dismayed, to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. Is our world a mess right now? What's the answer? We're calling good evil and evil good. We can't even define what a woman and a man are anymore. And again, all of that is an attack on the Bible and an attack on the God who created us. Amen? And so when people do that, it's just, it's evil. And parents who are doing that to their children, it's evil. Amen? But here's the good news in the midst of all of this. God is in control. God is faithful. We don't have to be afraid. Amen? It's not enough to tell them we need to live it out in front of our children. They need to see that example in front of the next generation, those you interact with who are coming up. It's hard to exhort them to be strong and courageous and fearless if we're weak, cowardly, and afraid. If we're hiding under the covers, hey, son, don't be afraid out there. <laughs> That's not going to work, amen? And you know what? I love seeing what God's doing with the young people in this church, amen? Yeah. Were you paying attention tonight to worship? Yeah. Okay, we have times when we have, you know, some seasoned saints and a whole bunch of young people, amen? And I'm praising God for that. By the way, I've told you this. I usually don't tell you ahead of time. I'm going to be gone for three weeks straight, a week. In, I'm suffering in Hawaii at a pastor's conference. 
And now I'm going to spend some time with my family around the anniversary of my son's death, and we're just going to all get, in and get together and spend some time together. But what I love is I'm going to be gone for six services. We're going to have six different people from this church teach, and they're all gifted by God. Amen? But that is not the body of Christ. Isn't that how it should work? Amen? We all want to use our gifts. And I'm excited to see what God's doing in the next generation. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? We can only be strong, courageous, and fearless as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and we trust in his word. It's not us just being strong in our own strength. It's not just us pulling up our bootstraps and being strong. It's us surrendering to the King of Kings and recognizing that we're not alone and that he is a faithful God. Now, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it will impact eternity. Amen? We want to have lives that impact eternity. Count all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. Trials are coming. But when you have the Lord, you don't go through them alone. Point number four there. It costs our Savior everything to save you. It will cost you something to be faithful, to faithfully serve him. Look at verse 14. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, one million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant I have prepared timber and stone also, you may add to them. Do you want, there's, I can't even, I, a thousand talents of silver is 3,750 tons, I mean of gold, 3,750 tons of gold. It's about six trillion dollars worth of gold. And they're going to use all of that in the temple. A thousand talents of silver, or one million talents, excuse me, is, is 37,500 tons of silver worth about $384 trillion in today's prices. So you've got $390, mil, $390 trillion, uh, it's about the same as this uh, lottery that's going on right now, right? $390 trillion, and they're going to use all of it to build the temple. Why? Because we give to the Lord first. Amen? We might like to think that the building is easy and painless. It's not. David said, in my trouble I have prepared. In my difficulty I have, he had to go, you know where all this came from? You know where all this wealth came from? It came from winning battles. It came from defeating the Philistines. It came from fighting the Assyrians. It came from fighting all their enemies. And because he had victories, he was then able to take the spoils of victory and then give it to the service of the Lord. And that's exactly what he does here. You know what I think of when I think of that? I think of the trials that we go through in life and how they cost us something, but then God will use it for his glory later. No suffering is wasted. Amen? All of you know I have a ministry I want no part of, and that ministry is dealing with people, with parents who've lost children. And since my son went to heaven 10 and a half months ago, I've had more occasions than I can count to speak to people who've lost children. And the only reason that they want to talk to me is that I know, they know that I know how they feel. And I'll be honest with you, I wish it was a ministry I had no part of. I would rather have my son back and let somebody else talk to them. I'm that selfish. But that being said, no suffering is wasted. And all of us have gone through trials in our life. And I want you to know, whatever suffering you've been through, it's not wasted. God will use it for his kingdom. If you struggled with drugs in the past, and now God's brought you out of that, God's going to use you to minister to somebody who's still struggling. Amen? 
If, you, if you're struggling because you, you want to be married and you're single, God's going to bring someone into your life that said, oh, I had to wait too, but you know what? It was worth it, and God is faithful. Amen? If you're here and you got cancer, but you, somebody else has gone through it, and God delivered them, and now they're going to minister to you. See, no suffering is wasted. All the trials of life can be used for God's glory if we will but let him. Amen? Some of you have gone through marriages that fell apart. And now you meet people who are in the same place and you can encourage them as well. It costs our Savior everything to save you. It will cost you something to serve him. What will it cost you? I'm not talking about money or support, you know, to support the ministry of the church. But to build up others takes a commitment to spend time with other people. How many of you, let's be transparent, your phone rings and it's somebody that probably needs you to talk to them, but you're tired at the end of the day, so you ignore the phone call. Anybody ever done that? And lying's a sin. Can I get an amen to that? But I'm, what I'm saying is, if we're truly going to serve God, your time's not your own. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So if the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning, you answer it. If somebody calls you and they're struggling and, you, and they just need you to do something simple, you get up and you go do it. Because your time doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Amen? And the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong and account of one whose heart is loyal to him. It will cost you to, to build up the lives of others. Growing as a Christian doesn't happen overnight. You don't fall asleep and wake up a mature believer. You know what has to happen to grow in your walk with the Lord? You have to go through some trials and, and see God do a great work. And, and as you go through them, you continue to grow. I've told you this repeatedly. The people that I seek for counsel are the people that I've seen go through the greatest tragedies and still be on fire for Jesus. That's somebody I want to talk to. How about you? And I have, them on, I have several of them in my phone. And I will call them up and say, bro, how did you do it? How are you continuing to be faithful? I've only had, my, my son's been gone for 10 months. Your child's been gone for 33 years. How in the world have you endured it? And you know what? We need those people in our lives who can encourage us. But see, again, it's, growth only comes, there's gonna be growing pains. There's gonna be some suffering. There's gonna be some trials you go through. As Job said, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity after he lost everything? And that's the exhortation for us as well. The way we grow is, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? One of my favorite Bible teachers, John Corson, and I've shared this many times. We've got some new folks, but he, you know, he's a guy that people say, well, I want to have faith like you. He says, you can. Just read the Bible as much as I do. Well, I just want the faith. I'm not so sure about that. You know, it's like the guy who wants to be yoked but doesn't want to go to the gym. Amen? I mean, the reality is, you got to open your Bible, spend time in God's presence. You know what? When you open this book, not only does, do you read it, but it reads you. Amen? And this is living and breathing. It's not like any other book out there. It's 66 books written by 40 authors in three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's possible because God wrote it. Amen? And yet we'll struggle in life and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know, man, I'm a mess. I have no direction. You reading your Bible? Not really. How's your prayer life? Don't have one. You in fellowship? Nope. Guys, you can't ignore God and expect him to speak to you. You can't, you can't leave your Bible shut on your, on your nightstand collecting dust and wonder why God's not ministering to you and why God's not speaking to you. Open it, read it, obey it. Amen? 
It will cost you something to build up your life. You need to invest in the things that will help you grow as a Christian. It takes time, again, to be in the Word daily, to spend time in prayer. And not just praying for yourself, but praying for others. Amen? Then he says here, arise and begin working. Uh, boy, we, I think we got a generation of folks who might need to hear that. Amen? doesn't say arise and start playing video games. Arise and begin working. And the Lord be with you. David made all the preparation, but it was in vain if Solomon did not begin working. He had to actually do the work, to do it with confidence in the Lord. I had a guy text me this, it was online this week, and he goes, you know, I really think the pastors, what we should do is you shouldn't study. What you should do is we should all just come to church and then ask if anybody has got a word from the Lord and get up and just share. And he goes, I just don't think that pastors should study. It's ridiculous. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I send him that verse. And he starts talking. I go, just stop talking because the Bible just told you you're wrong. Amen? I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. What does the Bible say? Because anybody have feelings ever lie to you? Amen? Any, don't let the world, don't let the culture, don't let your feelings keep you from the truth that can be found in the word of God and you can't find it if the book stays shut. Amen? Open it, read it, obey it, and it will transform your life. David is an example of somebody who works in the background, who receives none or little credit for his work. He gathered the materials for the temple. He prepared some of the materials. He won the peace with surrounding nations that Israel needed to build the temple. David found and purchased the site to build the temple. David established the plans for the temple, and David organizes and commanded the administration and servants of the temple, and yet it's not called David's temple. He did virtually all of the work got the plan together, and let his son finish it. And then it's called after his son's name. And you know what? You could get frustrated if it's all about you, but if it's all about God, you don't care. Amen? You've heard the term, some plant, some water, some reap the harvest. You know, sometimes you'll be sharing your faith, and you just won't see people responding. And you'll share your faith again and again, and you'll talk to people about the Lord, and you may be like Jeremiah, right? The weeping prophet, ministering for decades, and nobody gets saved. You just want to give up. But here's the reality. Sometimes you're just the one who's always planting or always watering. I'll never forget this. Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, I would have altar calls virtually every week, and I had people get up and come forward. I'd say, if you want to give your life to the Lord, come on up here. Well, I did it this one Sunday, and this lady gets out with a walker. And she comes walking up to the front, and I see three rows of people just weeping. And we, I pray with her, and they come up and say, that's our grandmother. She's got cancer. She doesn't have much time to live. We've been praying that she would get saved for 40 years. And she got saved. Do you know that she died four days later, and she's in heaven? Amen? So I got to be the guy reaping the harvest. I didn't do any of that 40 years of praying. Amen? And so the reality is that sometimes we get to be the ones, we get to see God bring someone to the Lord. But you know what's, what's just as important is sharing Jesus with people, praying for people that God will soften their hearts. We might get to heaven before they get saved. But guys, it's not about us. It's not about us talking about how many people. By the way, we save no one. God's the one who saves anyone who gets saved. Amen? He gets all the credit, all the praise, all the glory. Amen? To him alone. 
We didn't determine where we are to serve in the Lord's army or how much fruit it will bear. We're simply called to arise and begin working. Exactly what he told his son here. Get up and arise. It says in verse 16, again, of silver and gold and bronze and iron, there's no limit. Arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. That's an exhortation for all of us to arise and begin working. By the way, we can't build anything without the Lord. Amen? We don't sit together and come up with a great plan on how to you know, reach this people group by doing a certain thing. If the Lord's not in it, it's going to be fruitless. Amen? And we need the Lord. David has said this twice. Now, my son, the Lord be with you and you will prosper. See, if only, the only way that the ministry will be fruitful is if the Lord is at the center of it. If the Lord's not here, this isn't church. If we don't preach the Bible, let's put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club because it's not church if the word of God's not being brought forth. Amen? Because that's where faith comes from. It comes from being, spending time in the word. We allow God to work in us. Solomon would later write this. A song of decrees of Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. See, if God doesn't build it, it's fruitless. If God doesn't watch over the city, the watchman wakes up in vain. Guys, if God is for us, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Jesus said this in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branch, and he that abides in me and I in him, they shall bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Original language, that word nothing means nothing. So, so the truth is, without him we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, amen? So here's the exhortation, we need to walk in the Lord and walk in the power of his might. And we can't do it apart from him, without him. I don't care how much you study, I don't care how many things you do, I don't care how many arguments you create. Guys, if the Lord's not in it, it's gonna be fruitless. We allow God to work in us. There needs to be less of us and more of him. Jesus said of men born among women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. So if Jesus said it, that's the truth. Apart from Jesus himself, the greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease and he must increase. So John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived, said there needs to be less of me and more of him so that if it's true of him, it's really true of us. Amen? Arise therefore. Be about it. Prepare others to, to succeed as well. David isn't allowed to build the temple, but he equips Solomon to do it. And again, what a picture of what discipleship should look like. So point number four there, what are we doing to impact eternity? It costs our Savior everything to save you. It will cost you something to faithfully serve him. You might have to get to church early. You might have to spend time studying late at night to prepare to minister to the kids. You might have to go to practice to prepare to lead us in worship, uh, whatever it may be. It might be that God's calling you to invite people. It might, God may be calling you to spend time on your knees praying. Nothing, nothing godly happens without prayer. Amen? Final point, bring others with you. Again, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. I used to play this video. I don't even know if it exists. I should look for it. When I was a youth pastor, there was this, it, was, it was cheap. It wasn't very well made, but it, man, it made a great point. And there are four teenagers in a car, and they're driving along, and, and the car 
uh, goes off the road and they all die. And then they're standing before Almighty God. And two of them hear, enter in my good and faithful servants. And they're walking into heaven and the other two are being drug off into hell. And the two that are being drug off into hell are shouting to their friends, how come you never told me? Amen? Guys, if, if, you've, if you've had a friend more than a day and he doesn't know you're saved, you need to repent. Amen? Everybody in your neighborhood should know you're saved. Everybody uh, in your workplace should know that you know the Lord. Amen? We, we are not to be undercover Christians. Another day, no one found out. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Amen? We don't want to do that. We want to be sought. Now, don't be obnoxious. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Be kind. Be loving. Be Christ-like. But be unashamed of the gospel. Amen? They've all got the cancer of sin. We once had it. Only by the grace of God have we been healed. They need to be healed too. Don't keep it to yourself. Final point here, bringing others along to verse 17. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son. He's saying, look, Solomon can't do this on his own. Solomon's going to need some help. So he raises up leaders and tells them to come alongside Solomon. Building requires help from others. Solomon won't do the work alone. There are others to help us. First Chronicles 22 says, David also commanded all the princes of Israel right here to help Solomon and his son saying, we need each other's help. So not only should we share our faith with others who need the Lord, but we also should align ourselves with other believers who can come alongside us and hold up our hands when we need it. The Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. Most of you, many of you were here when I showed up on this Sunday two days after my son went to heaven. I have no idea how I got through that day except for you guys. I mean, I walked up that hill and I thought, how am I, but I need, I just knew I needed to be here. And do you know that the greatest comfort I got was so many of you loving on me and my wife, hugging on us, weeping with us. You didn't have to tell us anything. Just put your arm around us. Amen. And the same is true for us. In, in this life, we can't do this alone. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. We need other people to come alongside us. We need to be in fellowship with other believers. And by the way, you're going to become like who you hang out with. And if you're hanging out with the world, you're going to become like the world. And if you're hanging out with people on fire for God, that fire is going to be lit in you too. Amen? And we need that fellowship. We need other believers around us. He commands these guys to come alongside his son. I need, I need you guys to come alongside and hold up my son's hands. We know the story of when they're, again, when, when they're fighting the Amalekites and the Lord tells them to hold up his hands with the staff in his hand, right? You remember that, Moses? And, 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 and when his hand would go down, the Amalekites would start winning. And then Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses and they held up his hand all day long. You remember that? And then they won the battle. Why? Because on his own, his hands were falling. But there's times when, you, when you're going to need a friend to encourage you and a time when you're going to need to encourage them. And again, David commanded these leaders. He says, now set your heart and your soul and seek the Lord your God. Look what he says here. David commanded them, to, and then he says, is not your Lord God with you? And he was not given you rest on every side, for he has given the inhabitants of the land by my hand into the, into the land is subdued before you. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. He says, look, God has re removed all the enemies. They're gone. There's peace all around you. Now you need to build a temple, but you need to seek the Lord your God. 
I want to encourage all of us. We all need to seek the Lord more than we do. Amen? This command of David's is interesting in its context. David gave this command in the context of work, not of leisurely response to God. You know, seek the Lord. Cry out to the Lord when you're in the midst of your trials. Cry out to the Lord when you're serving him faithfully and you're exhausted. Cry out to the Lord. David knew it was possible to keep one's heart set on seeking God even in the midst of doing a great work before the Lord. It doesn't take a lot of discernment to see what's going on in some churches in America today, and I think the word church is loose. And you see people on television, and it's got the worldwide ministry and their name in big letters, and everybody just bows and scrapes around them and praises them, and they get up and say the biggest bunch of nonsense in the history of the world, and people are shouting amen to it. And this is what happens when we put man in a position where only God belongs, amen? And the exhortation here is that, look, even when you're doing a great work for the Lord, you make sure you never take the credit, but you keep your eyes on God because without him, you can't do it. And to him and him alone be all the praise and the glory. They must seek the Lord as David has sought him. David explains how to seek the Lord and what it means to practice, again, following the Lord. And Solomon came to the Jewish throne with every possible advantage. Here he is. He's got a dad who's been praying for him. The whole, everything's been put into place for him. He's got a godly example to follow. But, and Solomon cries out for wisdom. By the way, how does Solomon finish? No. Train wreck. Solomon ends up with a thousand women. Guys, remember that? And you know what happens with all these women? They start bringing their false gods with them. And then they start setting up altars to all these false gods. And then the children of Israel eventually get dragged away into captivity because of Solomon allowing these women to come, bring their false gods, and he's setting up altars to these false gods after he built the temple. Amen? Guys, that's why we need to continue to rest in the Lord, continue to trust in him. Amen? So, in closing, what are you doing to impact eternity? Give God the best, do it for his glory. Whatever you're called to do, do it with excellence. Be an example for the next generation to follow, finish strong. Number two, enemy of God or a friend of God. You're either at war with God or at peace with God. If you include God in your life, if you're serving him, you will enjoy his blessing. If you exclude God from your life, you will deal with the consequences. Number three, stay faithful to God and his word. Be obedient to the Lord. Be faithful to finish the work he has called you to do. Good works mean nothing apart from obedient fellowship with God. Number four, it costs our Savior everything to save you. It will cost you something to faithfully serve him. Take time and invest in things that will impact eternity that will grow you spiritually spend time in prayer and the word and fellowship and serving others some plant some water some reap a harvest you be faithful the results are up to God and then finally bring others with you take time to pour into the life of others who are you discipling right now whose life are you pouring into let's pray heavenly father we thank you we praise you we love you we thank you for the bible the living breathing word of God and I pray for all of us all of us could grow all of us could be closer to you. Everyone here 
could have a deeper relationship with you. May we not be satisfied where we are. May we hunger and thirst to know you better. Help us, Lord, stir up the gifts you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. May we, may we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said...